What's up, everybody out there? You know who you tuned into? Your support group podcast. This is Kenny. AQ. So today we're going to talk about money in the black community. And I want to start with the little historical portion first, and then we can get into the present and <clears> see <throat> if we can figure something out on how we can get some money into the, the black community. talking about money in the black community and what i mean by that is owning our community basically creating our own revenue our own streams our own lawyers our own doctors in a community and building up that community and actually owning it Mm -hmm. that's what i'm talking about right but first i want to talk about a little bit of history and to start history off the greenwood district of tulsa Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. So basically, if you don't know what Tulsa, Oklahoma, or the Greenwood District that I'm talking about is, we're actually talking about Black Wall Street. Over time, they built up a community of doctors, lawyers, their own insurance companies, their own mechanics, their own everything. That's why it basically became known as Black Wall Street, because everything that you could think of that was in the, the white-only towns and the white-only neighborhoods, it was in the black neighborhoods. And not only that, it was no negativity. Everybody was positive. Everybody tried to keep the peace because they loved the mm-hmm. way their community was thriving. So the reason why you probably never heard of Black Wall Street or what they wanted to call the Tulsa race riots, it wasn't no race riots. It was Tulsa race terrorism, mm-hmm. uh, Tulsa race massacre, is because... What happened to the community was a travesty. Mm -hmm. A young black man named Derek Rowland was riding in the elevator in the Drexel building at 3rd and Main with a white woman named Sarah Page. Mm -hmm. The accounts of the events are different from what community you come from or who you talk to or whatever, but it it got exaggerated. Mm -hmm. And the Tulsa police arrested Rowland the following day and began an investigation. An inflammatory report in the May 31st edition of the Tulsa Tribune spurred a confrontation between the black and white armed mobs around the courthouse, where the sheriff and his men had barricaded the top floor to protect Rowland. Shots were fired. The outnumbered African Americans began retreating to the Greenwood District. Mm -hmm. Basically, you already know how this is going to play out. Most of these people were business people. So they were black business people. And, And the white dudes that came in, Oh, they they was used to shooting guns and everything. So they was the wild, wild west. Mm-hmm. And these, the black dudes, didn't know nothing about no guns. They was like, no, 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 no. We we, we want, want, want to just look out for Rollin mm-hmm. and everything. And so they had to retreat back to their neighborhood. So mm-hmm. you know what happened after that. As history mm-hmm. tells it, the white people followed them to the neighborhood. Of course. <laughs> and so when they got the Greenwood, the Greenwood district, because they wanted to destroy it anyway, they was mad. Because the black people was getting all this money, they basically destroyed it and burned it down to the ground. And in 24 hours after the violence erupted, it ceased. And in the wake of the violence, 35 city blocks lay in charred ruins. More than 800 people were treated for injuries. And contemporary reports of deaths began at 36. But historians now believe as many as 300 people may have died. 
And I believe that. I believe that because they said it's a mass grave somewhere in that area and they haven't been able to find it. And then you know how urban renewal is or gentrification is. They put a highway right through the district. So, (laughs) you know. And and that's another topic for another time, but, you know, all black, old school black communities, um, like Overtown down in Miami, you know, the best way to do it when you see them actually thriving and surviving, you say, hey, we need to put our highway right through here. So they split Overtown right in half. <laughs> I'll say it's sad because to me, it seems like the whole Sarah Page thing was kind of a way for them to, um, to go, uh, an excuse, basically, for them to go over there and tear up the the area yeah but in order to understand the tulsa race massacre it is important to understand the complexities of the times dick Rowland, sarah page and an unknown gunman were the sparks that ignited a long smoldering fire like you said Mm -hmm. they had been wanting to you know go in Mm -hmm. there jim crow jealousy white supremacy land lust all played roles in leading up to the destruction and loss of life on May 31st and June 1st, 1920. That's, it's one of the saddest things because I remember a part of, a, it was a clip from Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. that says it's a sad thing when you tell a man to pull himself up by the bootstraps and you don't even give him no boots to begin with. And it seems like black people have been operating without boots, but we make our own boots. And as soon as we make the boots and we're like, look, we got our boots. Did somebody come? And snatch our shoelaces. <laughs> you know? Like, damn, well, you didn't give us no boots. We made the boots, and now you want to sit here and destroy our boots. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, it's crazy. I've I've read that story a million and one times, and it's no way that anybody can ever tell me otherwise that it was just pure jealousy and just pure hatred. Mm-hmm. And that, that community has never rebounded back to its heyday. No. Even though they had insurance on all their properties, listen to me, they had insurance on all their properties because mm-hmm. they deemed it a race riot, their insurance companies didn't pay out. Mm-hmm. So the people that lost all their land and all that stuff that was doctors and lawyers, guess what? They had to go to other cities and other states basically as sharecroppers and all that other Mm -hmm. stuff because they lost everything. They didn't have no Mm -hmm. money. They didn't have no means of eating. So now I want to go to the place where probably one of the greatest names for a neighborhood Mm. has ever existed. That would be Sugar Hill. We're talking about Harlem. You want to talk about money, historical black money? Let's talk about Mm. Harlem. Let's talk about the Harlem theaters, the Lafayette Players, the Harlem Suitcase Theater, the Negro Playwrights, the American Negro Theater, the Rose McClendon Players, the Apollo Theater, the Savoy Ballroom. I mean, we can can talk about all the speakeasies, the cellars, the lounges, the cafes, the superstars that came through there at the Cotton Club where Duke Ellington was playing. I mean, I could go on for days on this one. Mm Mm-hmm. If you ever meet somebody from Harlem, <laughs> they still have that swag. It's a, it's a different kind of swag. I, I tell everybody this. All boroughs in New York have a different accent. If you're from Brooklyn, you can tell that person from Brooklyn. If you're from the Bronx, you can tell they're from the Bronx. Even if you're from Yonkers or upstate, you can tell the difference. Um, every borough yeah. has an accent. But Harlem has a different style. Like, even even the homeless people have a different style in Harlem. <laughs> they got a different It's different. <laughs> it's different. And and what's crazy about Harlem is you just drive up the block and you go past Central Park and you're in Harlem, basically. Mm-hmm. 
with so many different things and different actors and different superstars coming through Harlem, the downfall for Harlem was was the the superstars, the money that was flowing through there. Mm-hmm. That brought in the drug dealers. Yeah, I was about to say that. Yeah. You had so many uh, superstars back then with uh, little side addictions and... Mm-hmm. Hustling was the way to go. Don't you know Harlem actually created the chicken and waffles? Get out. Don't don't get it twisted. <laughs> it didn't come from Roscoe's. It didn't come from the West Coast. Harlem. It didn't come from Georgia. Harlem invented chicken and waffle. Look it up. Wow. Fact. And it was created during this time of the Harlem Renaissance. Look, Harlem was banging so much that white superstars was coming through. Mm-hmm. Harlem is a landmark within itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, after the Great Depression, Harlem wasn't supposed to su- succeed, but it survived. And not only did it survive, it exceeded those. But like I said, the drugs came in, heroin came in, took Harlem down. The reason why Harlem never rebounded was because right after heroin left, crack came. Mm-hmm. It, it kept it down. But listen, Harlem had it. And if you go, if if you ever in New York, just go to like the older neighborhoods in Harlem and stuff like that, and just look at some of the old buildings. You you'll see so much history in that area. It'll surprise you. Yeah, I want to go out there one day. I would make a joke and say, just don't go out after night. But <laughs> we, I walked through Harlem at one o'clock in the morning. It was nothing. I wouldn't say like I took it for granted. Like I I was on my p's and q's. But like we had went to the store, me and my buddy, when I was up there working, and it was no problem. But a lot's changed now. Like it, I heard, there's like Starbucks, and it's it looks different. It's not like the you know they they're doing some stuff over there, like you know trying to get certain people out. And, you know, <laughs> one of my favorite writers uh, used to he writes a lot about Harlem. You know, uh, Langston Hughes. He was there hanging yeah. out. Right. I mean, you had Zora Neale Hurston. She was there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Claude McKay. He was there. Uh, Annie Spencer. She was there. I mean, you had Fitton Johnson. James Baldwin, right? James Baldwin. You definitely had all those people. Nice. Yeah. Don't even get me started on the jazz performers. Mm-hmm. Louis, Louis was regular there. Fletcher Henderson, Florence Mills, Ethel Waters. It was on and popping. That's just to name a few. Mm-hmm. I would tell anybody, just look up Harlem Renaissance mm-hmm. and you'll see that it is totally different than what the history books probably tell you. It'll probably tell you that the Harlem Renaissance, that lasted for, oh, a couple of years and, you know, the Negroes had mm-hmm. a little bit of money and so they spent it all <laughs> on drugs and, and white women and, and, and did all kinds of stupid stuff. No. Mm-hmm. This lasted for a few decades, mm-hmm. and they was getting it right, and that paved the way for a lot of different people um, that came afterwards. You know, the things that opened up doors, like the Apollo and different things like that. Yep. So I want to go to my last one, and you probably heard me mention it. I didn't know that it was this serious, this deep. You know, I've always heard stories about Overtown being separated by the highway. They came in and separated by the highway. They deemed it as because it was crime and all this stuff, and none of that was really happening. They just did that because they didn't want to push it through. The uh, white developers didn't want to push it through their area or their township. Mm -hmm. Overtown is a black heritage neighborhood with a rich history and culture, as well as some delicious restaurants. Historic Overtown is a legendary district just northwest of downtown Miami. Its cultural growth and development mirrored the artistic awakening of the Harlem Renaissance in the 1930s. Mm. And historic Overtown was Overtown was a busy entertainment destination known as Little Broadway. 
such stars as Louis Armstrong, Ella Fitzgerald, Billie Holiday, all played at the Lyric Theater and other venues in historic Overtown. So it's a lot of people that don't know that Overtown was that spot back in the day. Because I didn't mean it because I've been to Miami, but I always want to go like check out that little area, like little Haiti, O-Town, Overtown, and just kind of get see what's out there, see what's, what it's about. Yeah, they called it Little Broadway of the South. Mm-hmm. And the the real thing was, it was popular with blacks and whites at the time. Mm-hmm. Overtown was a center for nightly entertainment in Miami, comparable to Miami Beach. It was Miami Beach before Miami Beach, basically, mm-hmm. Overtown was. And at its height, uh, post-World War II, in, ni- in the 1940s and 50s, the area served as a place of rest and refuge for black mainstream, I read this, black mainstream entertainers such as Count Basie, Ella Fitzgerald, Cab Calloway, Josephine Baker, Billie Holiday, mm. and Nat King Cole, who were not allowed to lodge at prominent venues where they perform, like the Font- Fontana Blue and the Eaton Rock. I hope I said that right. Where Overtown hotels like the Mary Elizabeth Hotel furnished to their needs. Furthermore, many black luminaries like W.E.B. Du Bois, Zora Neale Hurston, Joe Lewis, and Jackie Robinson lounged and entertained in the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. But they say, like I said, quote unquote, uh, the neighborhood had an economic decline. Uh Issues ranging from urban renewal to the construction of Interstate I-95, the Dolphin Expressway, and the Midtown Interchange in the 1960s fragmented the once thriving center with the resident population decimated by nearly 80% from roughly 50,000 to just over 10,000. The area became economically destitute and considered a ghetto as businesses closed and productivity stagnated in the neighborhood. Well, that'll happen if you run a highway through it and <laughs> I mean, that, that'll pretty much close some people down. I mean, because they know what they be doing. That's all I'm going to say. They know what they be doing. <laughs> yeah. Because, I mean, you got so many little areas around Miami. You know, if you look at uh, Wynwood, mm-hmm. gentrification. Even though they got the graffiti on the walls, it's beautiful. I love it. You can see the gentrification there. Um, and they try to do the same thing with Overtown. But Miami-Dade County was like, nah, bro. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, y'all don't y'all don't use up all y'all cocaine money on all these other parts of the city. <laughs> Yeah. Because everybody knows Miami is the city that cocaine built. So, (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. Look, you better check that paperwork for all them high-rises downtown. It's all cocaine (laughs) money. Trust me. (laughs) Oh, my God. But now I get to the current neighborhoods around America, and this is just me just throwing out certain neighborhoods, areas. You got Atlanta. Atlanta has a lot of prominent black neighborhoods um very big big money down in atlanta that would probably be number one i don't know of any real big one bigger than atlanta right now but maryland also has a lot of communities where black people are prosperous and but the actual fact of the matter is those are just neighborhoods and residences they're not full-fledged communities like these where you got the doctor where you got the lawyer you know the Mm -hmm. lawyer he probably know your mom. Your mom used to feed him when he was a baby. Um, the doctor, the doctor probably got a spanking from your grandma because he was running the street playing, and you know she told him to get out of the street. You don't have that sense of community no more, so it's not you don't have that ability to build up a community. And so now you got these developers coming in, 
and then gentrification starts to happen. Then your your once thriving fun neighborhood you go through like you like oh wow this is how it looks now yeah because mm-hmm. you didn't take care of it right. There's a lot of that going on in New Orleans right now. With uh, the last time I passed by the Magnolia Housing Project and I went to to Woodson, which was right across the street from the projects. It doesn't, that area doesn't even look the same. They have bicycle lanes and Starbucks in some area. I was like, what in the world is happening over here? (laughs) Pause for a second, because that is a key, tall tale sign that gentrification is about to happen to your community. What? When you see a bike lane. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Listen, my mom has been living on the west side of Charlotte since we moved here in 1990. Ain't no bike lanes Mm -hmm. up over there. Ain't no bike lanes. (laughs) Ain't no bike lanes. Ain't no bike lanes. But guess what? Within the last past five years, they're starting mm-hmm. to come towards her house with bike lanes now. Mm-hmm. And like I told my mom, I said, the first offer you get, mm-hmm. take it. <laughs> take it. But no, let me look over the paperwork, really what I said. Let me look over the paperwork. Don't take the first <laughs> offer. Because the first offer, they're going to try to pin whip you. Well, you know, um, kind of like what they did to Seneca Village when they just declared imminent domain. They did something like that in Winston-Salem to these people. And these people owned their houses. And they was like, we're going to give you $30,000 for your house. And the people were like, but our house is paid off. <laughs> they were like, yeah, we're going to give you $30,000. Now take it and get out. I was just like, dang. <laughs> and and that happens all over America. Mm-hmm. They will take your stuff. They hit you with that eminent domain. It's either take it or leave it. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, it was bad. It made me it made me feel some type of way because like I felt like if you already bought your house and now you want to give me some chinky amount, now I got to go find another house and start all start all over again when I already owned my stuff. You know. <laughs> But that's the messed up part about this all, because at the end of the day, when you really think about it, you don't own it. You don't own uh-huh. it. So you mean to tell me you can come in at any time, uh-huh. long as you pay taxes on stuff, long as I'm still paying something on something, I don't own mm-hmm. it. Basically, I'm leasing it because I'm paying taxes on it. Why do I have to pay taxes on something I own? I don't pay taxes on a coat once I buy it. Right. <laughs> well, I got to pay my coat taxes. <laughs> you know, that's the thing that I never really got. But. What would be the number one solution to solving something like this? Like, we, we need to get back to... Because I'm not saying that, oh, we need to segregate from society. No, I, I just think that it's time to start really investing in ourselves. Because we see that really ain't a lot of people that care about it except for us. You know, mm-hmm. every time you turn around when we in the jam, they say, oh, here we go. We're talking about slavery. We're talking about reparations. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. It's a problem in Yugoslavia. Oh, we got to go to Yugoslavia. It's a problem in Nairobi, Kenya. What? Mm-hmm. Like what? <laughs> what? <laughs> did we did we get all the cobalt that we needed from there? Good. Pull our people up out of there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's why I say we need to figure out a way to start working on building up our community. People need to learn how to farm. People need to learn how to deal with and act like normal people when it comes to other black people. Because that's the reason why so many black people get that money, become doctors, become lawyers, and move away. Because they can't live or or work in the same neighborhood that they grew up in because they always got somebody saying, yo, bruh, that price too high. But then you go out here and go go buy that pair of Jordans. Oh, man, I don't care if it's 220 I'm going to pay that 220 Yeah. But you want, you want the black person that you knew from the neighborhood to give you a deal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? So we got to learn how to deal with other black people. 
we it's so many it's so many little small things that add up to big things and i think we could do it it's just uh about wanting to do it that's the part right there first you have to absolutely recognize that you as a person like looking in the mirror saying i have to do better because a lot of things that when you say it there's no way in the world with me making the, mo- the amount of money I make now that I'm going to go back and live in a neighborhood that I lived when I was younger because it's just not desirable. And it's sad to say, like, I would want to go and try to help build it back up. But at the same time, I don't want nobody coming up on my property and taking what I worked hard for. And it's like, people don't even think. It's like, I worked hard for this. If you want something that I have, ask for it and then I'll help you find a way to get what you need but it's like people it's so many little things that layers that need to be peeled back yeah well look like we won't solve this one (laughs) (laughs) not not overnight not overnight with so many people are just wanting to just turn their heads to the problem like it's like when you said there are black men that want to go back to black neighborhoods and help build them up but what happens when those black men or black women go back to those neighborhoods and start to do that? Other black men who ain't got ish going on for themselves, they look at that as like a threat or like who you think you are coming here trying to do this. It's like, no, I'm trying to come over here and help build it up. But no, you don't want to see your own neighborhood look decent. You don't want a nice recreation center for little kids to go play or your kids, kids to go learn. Right. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, come on. Like, let's let's start thinking about those things. I don't know. I don't get it. Well, like I always say, we can pray for them. <laughs> <laughs> we can pray for them. Always going to try to do my part the best way I possibly can. Mm-hmm. You know, as any individual would, if you see resistance or you feel like it's a threat to your life, mm-hmm. then definitely turn away from it. Don't mm-hmm. Don't walk into a person that's holding a gun to your head. Step back. Look around, say, all right, well, maybe in 10 years or so, I'll, I'll try this again. Because, mm-hmm. you know, things change. Communities change. Right. But I hope it ain't too late before the wrecking ball of gentrification comes in and actually just takes over your neighborhood and makes it into something unrecognizable to you. Right. That part. With that said, everybody be safe. Love on one another. Because if you don't, things are not going to get better. <laughs> <laughs> yep. If nobody told you they love you today, we do. We do. Definitely thank you for tuning in. Go check out the website. I'm going to have a end of the month Black History Month sell-off. So I'm dropping all the prices for all the shirts, coffee mugs, everything is just dropping. <laughs> but that'll be for the first week in March. So you got seven days. Once March, once March 1st hit, for seven days, all the prices on everything is going to go to the ground. And then <laughs> after the seven days is up, prices go back up. And I'm going to design some new stuff and put that up out there. Tune in next week where we're going to talk about what we always talk about. Stuff that supports you. All right. (laughs) Peace out. Peace.
Hi, I'm Kenneth, and this is your support group. Thanks for tuning in.